you're listening to the Living Word Church Podcast. To learn more about Living Word Church and our service times, visit us online at livingwordli.org. It's an honor and a privilege to be with the Living Word family while Doug is away, enjoying time with his family. I consider myself as a more tan version of my bald, bearded brother, Doug, all right? <laughs> so at any point today, if we, you know, greet or say hi, if you forget my name, feel free to call me Doug with a tan, all right? That's acceptable to me. Would you guys now bow your heads as we pray and acknowledge the presence of God here? So Jesus, we love you. God, uh, you know where we are in our hearts and in our walk with you. We just ask, Holy Spirit, that you just come open our hearts, our eyes, to be receptive to anything you want to show us today, God. We also lift up Pastor Doug right now and his family as they're away, God. We pray that they find rest, Lord, that they be recharged by the presence of each other and your presence, God. Bless them for all the work that they do for the kingdom. And Holy Spirit, we ask that your presence just fall in this place, God. For those of us that are in need of peace, may we find peace. Those of us in need of mercy, may we find mercy. Those of us that are lost, may we be found today. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen, Amen, church. Well, today I want to take a look at a specific beatitude taken from Jesus' famous sermon on the mount found in the gospel of Matthew chapter 5. Now, in this sermon, Jesus is teaching about a number of virtues. Some of these virtues are situational, some are the result of spiritual growth and maturity, and some are actions and attitudes and postures that followers of Jesus are to put into practice. The beatitude that I want to focus on today is found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, which says, Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Let's say that together. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. You know, often within the framework of Christianity, mercy and grace get entangled, right? Which they are to a degree within the context of the kingdom of God, but there are some significant differences. The Greek word for mercy is elios, not elios like elios pizza. I know some of y'all get confused right now, (laughs) but elios, which means pity and compassion. The Greek word for grace is charis, which means favor. Mercy is the act of withholding deserved judgment or punishment, while grace is the act of endowing unmerited favor. I'm going to say that one more time. Mercy is the act of withholding deserved judgment or punishment, while grace is the act of endowing unmerited favor. And when we look at the kingdom of God, and specifically God's grace and mercy, they are two sides of the same coin. And that coin is his absolute, unconditional love for us. In his mercy, we are saved from his eternal punishment, and in his grace, we receive his eternal reward, which is heaven. 
but even in smaller iterations. Many of us have experienced God come through for us in supernatural ways that have displayed his grace and mercy time and time again. When we've been delivered from seasons of difficulty completely unscathed and in fact better off than before the difficulties occurred. So even receiving unmerited favor in situations where we know we absolutely don't deserve it at all. Quick question by show of hands. Any of you here as a young person, hopefully not as an adult, but as a young person, remember the game Mercy as a kid by show of hands, right? Where you would lock hands and you would twist and turn, right? And hopefully not break someone's wrist, but right? You twist and turn until the person said mercy, right? And maybe for some of us in other generations, uh, you would get someone in a headlock or a half or a full Nelson, and you'd get them to say uncle, right? Such mean and violent games that none of us in here have been ever a part of. But there's a sociological statistic that exists when it comes to mercy. It says this, 10% of any population is cruel no matter what. And 10% is merciful no matter what. And the remaining 80% can be moved in either direction at any given time. That the majority of any given population can be moved at any given time from being merciful to being absolutely cruel. By show of hands, real quick, any of you ever heard of the mercy rule in youth sports? The mercy rule, right? Now, this rule is exercised in a multitude of ways depending on the sport, right? In essence, the mercy rule was instituted to protect younger athletes by sparing them the shame and embarrassment of a complete blowout loss. Now, a few years back when my someone was about seven, I had the privilege of coaching his football team, his youth football team. And we had a mercy rule as well. So basically, when the other team got three scores or more, actually three scores above the other team, you were able to remove four players of the opposing team to kind of level out the playing field. And if they, the other team scored, then those four players could come back in, right? So that was how the mercy rule worked. Now, as a first-year coach, we used that mercy rule every week. <laughs> Every game, I mean, it got so bad for us, rather than going over plays for the games, we'd watch film of other teams that we're about to play and pick the numbers of the kids we're going to take out because we knew we were going to use the mercy rule. It was a rule of protection, a rule of compassion, a rule of leniency that we used every game. When we look at how mercy is defined, right, it's defined as compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. It's defined as compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. Now, mercy within the context of the kingdom of God comes from a heart that has experienced God's mercy. 
It comes from a heart that has experienced spiritual brokenness and spiritual bankruptcy. A heart that has come to grieve sin, grieve selfishness, and separation from God's will in exchange to fully receive the loving mercy of God. See, mercy within the kingdom of God begins with repentance. I love this quote. It says, the Lord's mercy often rides to the door of our heart upon the dark horse of affliction. When we're going through that dark night of the soul, when we're at the bottom of the bottom, when we've tried all we could, when we called every person we could, and we're left with our own stuff. The Lord's mercy is available. See, the key to becoming a truly merciful person is to come to the realization that you yourself are a broken person and in need of mercy. I want us to be clear that there's a difference in showing mercy at times and truly becoming a merciful person. As Jesus is breaking down the Beatitudes in this Sermon on the Mount, he's talking about being, not just doing. See, you receive the power to show mercy from the realization that you owe absolutely everything that you are and everything that you have to God's divine mercy. As followers of Jesus, we're instructed by the Apostle Paul in Romans, specifically Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. See, a living sacrifice demands that we offer our selfish will and our selfish desires and replace them with God's will and his desires. An actual exchange occurs rather than just an offering. See, sacrifice without mercy is empty. It's an empty faith. It's an empty way of living. In fact, it can be discouraging and depressing. See, this is how our faith can become legalistic. We end up living a checklist faith of abstinence rather than living in the freedom of God's grace, mercy, and his will for our lives. Think of it this way. If you place your faith in Jesus just to get into heaven... Versus desiring to become more like him and follow him while living on this earth. Are you practicing any faith at all? Are you offering yourself as a living sacrifice? Or are you attempting to take God's mercy on you selfishly for granted and not extend it to those around you? This is where we have to be careful and intentional at the same time. Jesus is pointing us in a direction with this beatitude, but he's also giving us a warning. If you show mercy, it will be shown to you. 
But if you don't, let's look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 2. It says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Now, let's understand the context in which Jesus was saying this. Right? Remember, as he was preaching his sermon on the mount, there was an abundance of Jewish religious leaders. They had taken the Jewish faith in God and distorted it to become an exhaustive list of do's and don'ts called the 613 mitzvah. Say that 10 times fast. Now, they often use these laws to judge and shame others. In order to find redemption from their failure to follow, the religious leaders would demand the Jewish people to make sacrifices of money and livestock to the temple to pay a penance in which the religious leaders abused. So that's the context in which Jesus is saying this. And in Matthew chapter 9, verse 13, Jesus is addressing these religious leaders specifically, and he says, I desire mercy. And not sacrifice. Once again, Jesus is pointing at that he wants their faith to be alive within their hearts. He desires that we have feelings of affection towards him and experience his mercy so that we're able to show mercy towards others. Rather than just perform religious duties. So the question is maybe... What does that look like for us today? Christians today, unfortunately, are considered to be one of the most judgmental people. I think on a large scale, culturally, specifically in America, we are more recognized for our judgment rather than our mercy. We're recognized as individuals who are hypocritical as well as hypercritical of the choices and lifestyles of those who don't think and behave like us. And unfortunately, I don't think in most circles, most Christians are recognized for generosity or love towards mankind, which is horrible. In a lot of people's lives, we have become modern-day Pharisees in many ways. We often spend our time as Christians arguing with each other about different topics and perspectives and theological viewpoints. We're quick to point out and judge the failures of other believers rather than look at our own shortcomings. It's almost like, as believers, we feel like we've crossed this empirical line of faith that makes us believe that we've made it and our job is to make others aware that they haven't. And at the end of the day, all of this points to our own insecurity and our own faith and a lack of understanding of God's mercy in our lives. 
Jesus continues in his sermon specifically about this very thing of judgment. He says this in Matthew 7, 3 through 5. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the object from your brother's eye. You know, I think it's important that as we look at this section of scripture, we make it real. Imagine me walking around with this big old plank in my eye, talking about specks in other people's eyes. Coming into church, going into work, going to school, just walking around with this big old mess in the front of my face, and I'm just looking down on other people. It's like, dude, you got a little something right here. I want to get that. Oh, this plank, this ain't nothing, bro. This is nothing. My mom said I was born like this, right? <laughs> but imagine that, right? Going around judging people about little things on their face and in their eye when you're walking around with this gigantic plank. And Jesus is saying in this section of scripture, he's like, check this, get it removed, so now you can help a brother out appropriately. But unfortunately, we spend so much time just looking at other people, and in our own insecurities, we judge others for their little stuff to maybe make this plank seem like it's not that big of a plank. Let me take it a step further, just for those of you that are having issues understanding what I'm saying here. All right, here we go. What if when you came in today, right, and as each of you were coming in, you saw me at the door greeting you. And as you were coming in, you'd extend your hand to shake my hand, and I shook yours, and I had this on my head. And I was like, you know, it's a new hairdo. Like, I don't want to be bald anymore. So I'm going to use Cool Whip, right? I look crazy, don't I? Okay. But imagine as you're walking in, I'm judging you based upon everyone else's hairdo. Oh my gosh, when is she gonna dye those roots? <laughs> right? When is he just gonna go completely bald, all right? That bald spot is glaring. Not like mine, I got cool whip. This looks crazy, doesn't it? Insane. This is what Jesus is pointing out of how we can behave as Christians towards one another. That we can, it's literally this crazy. Please let me know I got it all. Or not. Is it, it's not off? It's not, if I don't get it all off, y'all are going to be looking at me the whole thing like, oh my gosh, Ray, look at that hairdo. Doug, you won't believe what Ray did today. <laughs> don't let him come back. I want us to take this moment 
as we're even joking right now, but ask yourselves. Where and how do I judge others? At work, am I quick to call someone lazy without knowing the story behind what's going on in their lives? At school, am I quick to call someone mean or not part of the cool club? In my relationships, if someone doesn't respond to me the way I think they should, am I quick to get offended? Even with my own kids or my spouse? Is there a group of people or individuals of a socioeconomic status that I tend to be microaggressive towards? For me, as a parent of two teenagers and a preteen, please pray for us, uh, <laughs> mercy looks like this, and I've had to learn this the hard way, but choosing to listen, choosing to listen first, even when I know I'm right, but choosing to listen first, and just by doing that, how that can de-escalate the situation or allow my teenagers to be open to what I have to say because they feel heard. That's mercy. Believe me, there's situations where the hammer's coming down, right? But sometimes the blow doesn't need to be as hard. Another thing I learned is to pick my battles. Listen, I know I told you to bring the cups down out of your room time after time, but you know what? It's not worth an argument right now. I'm glad you came home on curfew last night. Let's talk about that. Thank you. It's choosing to respond rather than react. See, being merciful isn't being passive or looking the other way. It's acknowledging this situation, acknowledging the individual, and then choosing the path forward. See, justice is just as important in the kingdom of God as mercy is. That's why mercy within the kingdom of God requires the wisdom of God. James chapter 2, verses 12 to 13, the author writes, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And even if you take a moment to look within the depths of your own soul and the things that you've navigated, maybe even where you are today, mercy triumphs over judgment.
James is telling us to remember the triumph of God's mercy in your own life and to be merciful. To put to death the wickedness of favoritism and discrimination and in light of God's incredible mercy for you, let mercy reign in your life. Remember the mercy that God has shown you. Remember where you were when Jesus shined his bright light upon the darkness in your life. Remember he rescued you. Remember he ransomed you. And in your remembrance of his mercy for you, show mercy to others. You know, as I talked about that first year of coaching that team where we had to use the mercy rule over and over and over and over again, well, the second year, things started to click. We became a dynamic team, and we actually went to the championship game. And so here we are at the championship game, the number two-seeded football team for eight-year-olds, and we are bringing it to them, man. We are winning. We get three scores up in the second quarter. The ref comes and says, all right, coach, we have to use the mercy rule. And I know for me, I was like, what? Are you kidding me? <laughs> After what we went through last year, could you give us a break? Right? I'm thinking this. And, uh, and as I'm agitated, uh, my, my kids, the, the kids are being agitated. What? You're taking me out the game? What? And I remember it was at that moment, at that moment, I'm looking at these kids and I'm like, we have the championship in the bag, right? But let's use this as a moment to truly be merciful, to not be sore winners. So I grabbed the team together and I said, guys, remember last year where every game we had this done to us? Do you remember the tears that some of you cried after those games, the conversations that we had at the next practice? That feeling. We actually have an opportunity to not allow that to happen to these kids. So after every play, you're tapping them on their helmet, good play. After every tackle, you're picking them up. Let's show them what true mercy is. And I remember saying that and breaking up the huddle, and the kids did it. And man, to me, that was the most fun they ever had. To see how to be merciful in this moment, how it affected the other team. It almost felt like a scrimmage that they were playing because they were just high-fiving each other. It was just a beautiful sight to see. You know, mercy is tough. Amen? I think it goes against our natural tendencies to believe that people get what they deserve. Our natural tendency is to believe that people get what they deserve except when it comes to us. Can I get a little leeway? And when it's other people, yeah, that's right. They deserve every little bit of that. And you're in the same situation. You're like, hold on one second. Can I get a little mercy here? 
I love this last quote that I want to read to you guys. When it comes to showing mercy to the poverty-stricken, we think sometimes that poverty is only being hungry, naked, and homeless. The poverty of being unwanted. The poverty of being unloved. The poverty of feeling uncared for. The poverty of loneliness. It's the greatest poverty there is. Let's stand. In this moment, I invite you just to bow your heads and close your eyes and do a little bit of internal assessment. We're all in different stages and seasons of life. Many of us have navigated a number of different things in our lives. Some of us feel incredibly close to God, and some of us are even questioning the existence of God right now. But when it comes to this thing of mercy, this gift of mercy that's extended to each one of us today, I invite us right now just to assess And if you feel like you're in need of God's mercy right here and right now, I invite you to raise your hand. If you're in need of God's mercy. Awesome. Awesome. I'll take it a step further. If you are so willing, if your hand was raised and you want to come to the front for prayer specifically, I invite you to do so right to my left. Don't be shy. Matter of fact, I'll do this. I'll sit down right here. If you're in need of God's mercy, you're in need of God's mercy, and you want to receive prayer for that in this moment, just come forward. Come forward. Come forward. I just want to pray with you. I don't want to fight you. (laughs) So let me pray with you. Right there. Anybody else in need of God's mercy, just come forward. Come forward. Let this be your moment where the fullness of God's mercy can triumph over any judgment you have towards yourself, even. come forward. You're in need of God's mercy. Just take that step of faith. I love that. God meets us. When we take that step, he does the rest. Just come forward. If you are in need of God's mercy, I'll even extend the question. If you're unsure, if you're in need of God's mercy, you're like, I don't know. I, I just know I'm in a, in a place where I need something. I need something. I need something because what I'm doing ain't cutting it. 
what I'm doing ain't cutting it. This, this sin, this guilt, this shame that has been just a dark cloud over my life. God, I need your mercy. Last time, come forward. Come forward. I want you guys to stay right there. I want to pray for you. I want to open this other side of the altar. And I'll do the same thing. I'll sit down. If you're here today and perhaps you know you've been super judgmental. You're just one of those people that judge people. You don't even mean to do it. Someone has a nice car. You're like, oh my gosh, right? Or someone has a, a beat up car. You're like, oh my gosh, right? Like you just... You just, for whatever reason, I know those are simple, simple things, but for whatever reason, you feel like you, you just judge people. And, and really, at the end, end of the day, that judgment is robbing you of God's joy. And you're here today, and you want to receive more mercy. Like, you want to be more of a merciful person. If that's you, just come to this side. I want to pray for you. You're tired of being judgy. You just want to be a person that just can extend mercy. Thank you. Anybody else? Just You just want to truly be a merciful person and less judgy. You're tired of walking around with the plank or the cool whip on your head. And you just want to be a more merciful person. Last chance. All right, for the rest of you in the seats, would you mind just agreeing with me as I pray for these individuals? So Jesus, I thank you for these people who are here today. God, for these people who are in need of your mercy, Lord, may they be filled, filled with it right now, God. Filled, immersed in your mercy right now, God. God, you know their needs. You know where they're at. You know the darkness that they've been feeling. You know the judgment that they've been feeling. The, 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 just the overwhelming, just an overwhelming sense, God. I pray in the name of Jesus that you just extend your hand of mercy over each person here that desires it, Lord. Those up front and those in the back as well, just anyone here, God, that is desiring your mercy, you fill them with it, Lord. Let them know, God, that they are forgiven. Know, God, that your hands are over their, their hearts right now, God. That whatever darkness that they're facing, Lord, your light will shine through it. Give them the ability to just fall into your hands of mercy, God. Your word says, in our weakness, in our weakness, you're strong, God. So we pray for that strength, God, that comes with your mercy. Mercy, more, Lord, more, Lord, more mercy. And God, for the individuals here that have honestly stepped up, God, and, and really known that they have a, judge, a judgmental heart or a judgmental portion of their character that they want healing from. God, I believe you honor that. You honor that. To, to stand up here and say, I deal with judging others. God, you honor that. And I pray right now in the name of Jesus 
God, that you touch their hearts. Whatever that judgment is from, Lord, whether it's stuff that they've navigated in their past that has kind of put a little resentment towards others, God, I pray right now that you break that in the name of Jesus. God, that they're able to see people with mercy the way that you see people. God, give them supernatural eyes, Lord. Supernatural eyes, compassionate eyes. Give them the ability to ask questions, to seek where healing needs to happen, God, to seek where help needs to be done, Lord. Pray right now for these individuals, God, that in their releasing of judgment, they be filled with your mercy and show it and extend it to others. Thank you, God, for this moment, this moment of mercy. Bless everyone here, God. We thank you, Jesus. You can remain up here if you'd like to. Once we close, I'd love to be able to pray with each and every single one of you that want it, a more personal prayer moment. And anyone else who's here, once we dismiss, if you want to come up for prayer, I'll be more than happy to pray with you. Please don't walk out of here the same way you came in. Let me just bless you as the worship team continues to play. Remember, church, darkness can't drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate can't drive out hate. Only love can do that. Church, live with passion, live with mission, live with intention, live with mercy through the grace that God has given you. Be the light. Reflect God's love. I bless you all in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And in Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Let's worship together.